I listened to an interview with Philip Glass last night, and there was one part in particular that I wanted to share. He was talking about his early years as a composer, and um, how, you know, just to set the context, you of course may be familiar with him, but um, in case not, he's one of the most successful composers of our time. He's still alive, fortunately. And uh, he's written a lot of film music as well as many operas and just countless other types of pieces of music. But he, um, I've, I've told the story about his early days when he had his first opera in one of the biggest opera houses in the world in New York playing to packed houses. But because opera doesn't actually make money uh, anywhere really, um, uh, he needed to go back to... Uh, driving a taxi for a while because he had been concentrating on just that one project for a long time so he had nothing else you know to um, to be bringing in other income later he changed his working method so that he's always working on many things and I adopted that thought from him that it's better to have many things going rather than just one big thing but anyway so in this interview he was talking about how when he got to the point where um, he was uh, ready to have his music performed, he wasn't actually allowed into uh, the normal concert venues. Even um, So I think he tried, but because his music was so radically different, you know, it was this uh, music based on repetitive structures, um, often called minimalism. Um, but it's a bit unfair because, you know, the ideas are big and often there's, you know, the orchestras can be large and so on. So uh, it's not the best term. But so what he was saying was that he was basically banned from getting to the normal performance spaces. In other words, we can rephrase this and say that there were these gatekeepers of the classical music world that didn't approve of his music. And now we can, uh, from our point of view, we can see why. Because he was the future, uh, one of the futures. Um, you know, he was a threat. Um, uh, even though back then, of course, it's possible that the people making the decisions uh, weren't thinking in to those terms even. They were just thinking, I don't like this music. And uh, who is this guy anyway? Uh, we don't know him. Because he had no connections in the music world at all. This is another thing he was talking about in the interview. He, um, he owed nothing to anyone in the music world because he, as he said also here, um, he didn't receive any help at all from anyone else in the music world. Um, and of course, not counting his own small group of friends with whom he started performing his own music. But he said he didn't receive any help from the wider musical world until he was in his 50s, when he was over 50 years old. So that was how much of a struggle it was for him uh, to, to, you know, get to a, a place where there was actually some encouragement. And uh, then he, I guess, started getting some contacts. But the result was that he didn't owe anything to anyone because... There was no one in a position who could say, um, you, you remember that favor I did you, Mr. Philip Glass? Now, 
you know, you need to do something in return. Um, and that's an excellent position, actually. Um, he remained completely independent. That's also why, you know, he eventually became a success. It was an important part of it because he also, he actually set up his own music publishing house. So, you know, in a way that's self-publishing. That meant that he got all the profits for himself and his own company or companies. I don't know how his business setup exactly is, but I wanted to share that. Um, all these th things that he said about how little support there was. And, you know, I don't think he was exaggerating. Um, he's a very honest person. That's always the, the impression I've gotten from him. Um, he's not shy about saying what he thinks. And uh, so it was just the case that there was no support. He had to find the audience without any support from uh, the music industry and people working in it. And only he, he got to a better place where, you know, people actually, they couldn't ignore him anymore when he was in his 50s. And uh, I, I mentioned this before that he also only started making money from his music or making a living from his music when he was um, in his 40s. Uh, so it was a long road for him. And he's one of the people that I find inspiring for that reason. Still time to get to that point also at, uh, um, in my own way. But I think there's a lot to be said for that independence. Um, because, well, this is another thing he mentioned in that interview, that people who, or let me restart the sentence, there are people who can do things completely on their own, who can create, for example, music that is strong enough to survive on its own. And then there are people who can't do that and they need to slot themselves into an existing system or a structure. They need to become part of some musical organization uh, as performer or composer and be, then they owe things left, right and center to people all over. You know, many composers, they have to work to other people's specifications of course, film composers, but also composers in other areas. They don't get to make just the music they like. They are given directions by the people who, you know, give them their living, who pay the bills, basically. And I definitely, you know, I, I'm not suitable and I don't want to be in that kind of position. I discovered that a long, long time ago in other areas as well, just in, in terms of how I need to have my life.